It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. We're actually nearing the end of a section. Woo! And not like just the end of a little section. This is like the end of a big section. Uh, so this is an exciting day. We should go out for ice cream. <clears throat> someone, someone will pay for it. We'll go. We'll do it. <clears throat> anyway, Ephesians chapter one. <clears throat> we've been walking through the blessing section uh, over the last several weeks. Uh, and again, that blessing section starts at verse three, goes down to verse fourteen. And just as a quick reminder, <clears throat> the whole blessing section, the whole Im- impetus of this blessing section is that everything that you need for life and for godliness is found in one single place, Jesus Christ. And as Paul begins to list these blessings, again, he's not given a comprehensive list, because there's obviously more blessings in Scripture than just his list here. But as we begin to walk through this list, <clears throat> it's so amazing to me that uh, every single blessing that God has for you, found in this passage, every single blessing that Paul's articulating finds its fulfillment in Jesus. In other words, you don't get Jesus plus this little blessing. You get Jesus, which becomes the fullness of the blessing. Which is an amazing reality. That if I need peace in my life, I I don't go after Jesus and say, Jesus, could you give me some peace? Really what I need is more of him, because he is the Prince of Peace. If I need joy in my life, I I don't need Jesus plus a little bit of joy or a pill called joy. right? God's not going to give me a tablet called joy and I pop it in. I'm like, woo, finally got some joy. Right? If I ask God for joy, what does God give me? He gives me Jesus, who is the fullness of my joy. And so I begin to recognize then that every single blessing that God has for me is found in one place, which means if you have the one thing, Jesus, then you have every single blessing that you need. That I don't need anything outside of him, which is just a a great thought. So could I give myself to one single purpose? Could I give myself to one single end? Could I delight myself in one single thing? which is him. And the moment I do that, I begin to experience the richness of the fullness because I don't need him plus something. I just need him. Now we've been walking specifically in the blessings that we have in the spirit, which is verse 13 and 14. Now, again, these are blessings. And again, we categorize it by the spirit uh, because the whole tone of the passage is the spirit stuff. And again, uh, the father, the blessings of the father is verse three through six. Blessings of the son is verse seven through 12. But as we're walking, again, it's not, uh, how, how do I say this? It's not the, every single blessing, of whether it be the Father, the Son, or the Spirit, finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So it's not like the Spirit has special blessings. He's like, woo, I got a special one outside of Jesus. No, it is the Spirit of Jesus, right? We call him the Holy Spirit. And so what is he going to give me? He's going to give me the fullness of him. He's going to guide me into all truth. The Spirit of truth is going to guide me into all truth. And who is truth? Jesus. So you get that idea here in the passage. So what I want to do this morning is, is again, read verse 13 and 14, and then kind of, uh, we were walking through this last week, but expound on this a little bit more. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says this, in him, speaking of Jesus, you also, after hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and after believing in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Oh, what a great passage. 
Now, last week, we were looking at the beginning of verse 13, which says that after hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believing in him. And again, we were talking about this idea of the fullness of the gospel. What, what does it look like to apprehend? What, what does it look like, as Paul says here, to hear the word of truth, but not just hear the word of truth, but believe in it? And again, we were kind of talking about this idea that there's a dramatic difference between hearing truth and believing truth. That I can hear things, but that doesn't mean I believed them. Right? Classic example, mom comes up and says, hey, clean your room. Now, I've heard it. But she comes back an hour later, and she goes, excuse me, were you not listening? I'm like, no, I, I can tell you exactly what you said. In fact, I diagrammed that sentence. I have a piece of paper here that has your exact statement, and I, I have all these the details about the tone and the inflection and all that you said. And she's like, you missed it. I'm like, no, 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 I, I heard it. See, look, I can prove to you. I, I diagrammed the sentence. Look, look, this is, this is the verb. This is the subject. I, I heard you. And of course, you know, that this makes no sense, right? Because she's like, no, you, you did not hear it. You heard it, but you did not hear it kind of stuff. And again, the same thing is true with truth. That I can, I can sit in a church service and I, I can participate. I can listen to sermons and I can... I can even study scripture and, and I can, hey, I can know all the right answers. But isn't it interesting that you can know all the right answers and still die and go to hell? Because it's not about knowing the right answers. Oh, well, I've heard it. Yeah, but the demons know this stuff. So it's, it's not like, ooh, they're going to heaven. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> Why? Because there's a difference between hearing. There's a difference between knowing factually and knowing intimately. Right, just in my classic example again is the, uh, the the speed limit sign. Right, you you could you could be driving down the road and you can see a speed limit sign and you can know the speed limit. And someone could quiz you and you'd be like, I, I got all the details and from this point to this point is this speed limit and all this kind of stuff. And you can know it factually. That's very different than when you've experienced the speed limit. <laughs> and some of us know what that means, but. <clears throat> Did you recognize then that there's this idea in the, in the passage that hearing, though you need to hear, in other words, you'll never believe unless you've heard. So there, there's a truth in that. But how are you ever going to, I'll say it this way, hearing, though you need to hear to believe, hearing is insufficient. Because as Paul says, you do need to hear it, but you need to take a step beyond that and you need to believe it. And again, their believe is not a mental ascent kind of a thing. It's the idea of uh, if you're falling, I push you out of an airplane and you're falling in the sky and I throw a parachute behind and you're seeing this parachute float next to you and I say, do you believe in the parachute? And you're like, yes, I do. It's right there. That's not going to help you because you're still going <laughs> to, right? As the cartoons would show, <laughs> right? That's not going to help you. Well, what does it mean to believe? Believe actually has the idea of to make your way over to the parachute, right, somehow, and you grab the parachute and you put on the parachute, and now you, you are embracing the parachute. Why? Because it is your means of salvation. It, it is your sole means of life. It is your sole means. That's this idea here. So you begin to understand then that I do need to hear so I can believe, but hearing is insufficient because I actually have to put on that truth. I have to embrace that truth I've got to not just esteem the truth, I've got to apprehend and live in that truth. So Paul says then, in verse 13, that when all that takes place, 
hey, when I hear the word of truth, and when I don't just hear the truth, I put on the truth, and now the truth is, is on me like a parachute. I'm clinging to that parachute for all of my life. He says it's interesting that what takes place is he says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He says there's something that takes place in your life. And what is that? Oh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's interesting, <clears throat> the disciples are walking with Jesus for three years, and, and several times throughout the Gospels, he uses the language of, oh, the promise of the Father. Oh, there's a promise. Yeah, it's the promise of the Father. And it's interesting, you can trace that through. In fact, he doesn't use that language so much in John 13 through 17, but that concept is just all over the place in the upper room scene. <clears throat> uh, for example, John 16, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, hey, it is better for you that I go away. And some of you have heard me say this, but <laughs> if I was one of the disciples, I'd been like, uh-uh, Jesus, I think you're mistaken here. It is actually not better for you to leave. I mean, and we've thought this too, maybe not consciously, but haven't you ever wanted like, God, I need direction. I, I, need, just, I need some discernment. I need clarity. Could, could I have a burning bush? Could, could you somehow put a neon sign in the sky that's flashing that says, turn right or turn left? Just, just, just one flash is all I need. And I could see it. No one has to see it. Just, okay. Right? Haven't we one of those kind of things? We want the visible clarity. And yet Jesus says, no, it's good that I leave. And I'm like, uh, no, 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 no. Jesus, I actually think it would be better. Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus was physically right here this morning? And you're like, that would be better than you. I know. I know. <clears throat> and of course, I would sit down so we could listen to him. Praise the Lord. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so I agree. I think it's actually better for Jesus to be here physically. But Jesus, who's looking at his disciples, who's been with for three years, and says, no, 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 it's better that I leave. Why? He says, oh, because if I leave, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send forth my spirit. Yeah, that promise of the Father stuff. I'm going to send my spirit and he is not just going to be with you, he's going to indwell you. You realize that was the heart, that was the desire of all the Old Testament writers. I mean, you look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah had this, this vision, this, this clarity, this insight that just was like, whoa, there is coming a day when what was written on tablets of stone is eventually going to be written on the tablets of the heart. What was here for momentary things, what was here for, you know, for, for activity on occasion, hey, that spirit is going to indwell us for a life. Ezekiel had that same passion. Oh, there's coming a day when what was here as a shadow is going to be here in totality and fullness and experience. I mean, we look back at the Old Testament writers and we're like, wouldn't it be great to be Daniel? Oh, love to be Daniel. Well, wouldn't it have been amazing to be Moses? I don't think it would have been so hot to be Jeremiah. But, you know, there's, there's these... There's these characters in, in the Old Testament that were like, oh, I'd love to have been them. And look at their relationship with God. And if you ask those Old Testament characters, they would look at you and go, what, what, what are you talking about? Do, do you recognize that I want what you have? Which is an odd thought, isn't it? That you can take any Old Testament character and all of them would trade places with you in a heartbeat. Why? Because what we get to experience in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And yes, it's, the, not, it's not that the Holy Spirit was absent in the Old Testament. He was there. 
but it's like he was there for activity or he was there for a, a word or he was there for, he was kind of popping in, popping out. He wasn't there for life kind of stuff. David, the yearning of David's heart when you read the Psalms is, oh, I, whatever I have here in this momentary thing that, that I have and I don't have, I have, I don't have, I, I know there's coming a day when it's going to be in totality and for life. You realize, according to Jesus, what we have after Pentecost is better than what the disciples had when they were walking with Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. And I'm like, whoa, would it be amazing for Jesus to like be here? Jesus is like, no, 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 no. It's actually better that I leave. Excuse me. Uh-uh. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. If I leave and I go to my father, then I'm going to send forth my spirit, the promise of the father. And that promise of the father, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to indwell your life and it's going to change everything. As William Law said, the cross wasn't merely the purchase of forgiveness. It was for the purpose of Pentecost. The reason the cross forgives your sins is not just because God wants to forgive your sins. He does. But the reason he wants to forgive you of your sins is so that he can inhabit you. He wants to indwell your life. So isn't it an amazing thought? Here's Jesus, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, I'm going to send the promise of, my, promise of the Father to you to inhabit you. And that's better than me being here physically. Now, it's an exciting thought that when we get into the eternities, you realize we get both. That we get to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about this in just one second, but not just indwelt in the fullness of that sense, but we're also going to have the physical Jesus. We're going to slap him on the back. We're going to roast marshmallows together, go down and you know, get a diet 7-Up, you know, or whatever it is that's available up there. <clears throat> right? We are going to experience the fullness of both the indwelling and the physical presence of the king, which is exciting. And Paul says, do you begin to recognize that, hey, when you, not just hear, but when you believe that there's a seal that is put upon your life. And what is that seal? It's the Holy Spirit. That you have a personal Pentecost. The outside God comes inside. And we call that Christian. This isn't like, woo, this is bonus. You can be a Christian and at some point you get this, woo. That's, that's not Christian. That the definition of a Christian is that you have the life of God within. So think about the idea of Pentecost. All throughout the Old Testament, God's been out there somewhere. Uh, he's been yelling at us. He's been looking at us down from a distance. We have a song like that. You know, and he's, he's over there somewhere. And we're trying, hey, we're, we're, we're trying to do the best we can. We're obeying. Oh, we're trying. You realize what happened at Pentecost is that the God who has always been out there came to indwell us in here. Which means that there are two people in here, which is not schizophrenia. For clarity's sake, you know. Right? But there, there are two people. There's Nathan and there's Jesus. It's, it's his spirit, the Holy Spirit, living in here. It's, it's, not that the, it's not that the Holy Spirit just, you know, sits in my heart and watches, watches blood pass by, right? And he's like, isn't this wonderful? I have a new little home. That, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. When we say accept Jesus into your heart, we're talking about, hey, let him have your life. Hey, let, let the whole consumption of your being be him. That, that he is to be the totality of your life. It's awesome. And now I'm not living my life for him. 
He now wants to live his life in and through me. And that is the, that is the crazy shift that took place at Pentecost. Because no longer is it me and my own effort and my own wisdom and my own talent trying, trying to serve God. Woo, isn't he lucky? This is God has come to indwell my life, and now he is worshiping, now he is serving, now he is acting through my life for his purpose, his plan, and for his glory. Now, I'm not passive. Please understand that. I, I don't go passive, and I'm just like, whoo, God, if you want me to do something, do it. You know, and he grabs my arm, he's just like, hey. I'm like, don't do that. Right? that we're not talking about that. that Makes sense? We're talking about you and him are participating uh, you and him are, are coming together to pull off something. And again, I think one of the best pictures of that is, and it's probably inappropriate in this room, but uh, it would be dancing, right? Because in, a, in, a, in true dancing, you know, you have this guy and you have this gal and they're, whoosh, they're right there and you realize without talking, he, he initiates and she responds and he initiates and she responds and he initiates and she responds and there's this incredible dance going on and it's just like this and there's, it's one dance but they're both participating. So it's not me dancing and him doing nothing and this is not him dancing and I'm doing nothing. This is we're both coming together. And Christianity, you understand, is not 100% God and 0% Nathan. It's not 100% Nathan and 0% God. It's not 50% God, 50% Nathan. It actually is 100% God and 100% Nathan. Now, I am to diminish. I am to get out of the way. I, I, I am not to be seen. He is to be lifted up. That's all very true. But I'm fully participating in this thing. Does that make sense? And now the Holy Spirit, who is, hey, God's been out there. He's come to indwell my life. And one of the marks on my life, the fact that I have truly believed and put on the Lord Jesus Christ is that his spirit has come to indwell me. And Paul says that now I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That there is this mark upon my life that is a reflection of him. Now that word seal, by the way, it kind of has three different ideas in the ancient times. And I, I think they all actually apply to this concept of the Holy Spirit sealing our life. Uh, one, of the, one of the idea, again, it's this idea, a, a seal is like a mark or a brand. And if you've listened to Eric Lee's sermon or one of his Daily Thunders last, uh, was it last week or so, he talked about the whole sigma and the brand and, and that whole thing. And you can go back and listen to that. <clears throat> but when you look at this idea of the mark or the brand, you realize that uh, if, you, if, you have a, if you have a cow and you take a brand or a seal and you, you, know, you seal them, Right, you, you, you burn that sigma or that brand in the flesh, they are now marked. They are, they are now claimed for something. And again, back in the ancient times, <clears throat> there's this idea that a brand or a mark or a seal authenticates something. Uh, for example, uh, the king is going to send an, an ambassador. And so he writes this little letter and he puts a, a, puts a seal on it, saying what? Hey, I've authenticated this message. There's, there's that idea in the ancient times. Uh, there's this idea that a seal conveys authority. And again, it's, a, it's that kind of that ambassadorship thing. That if I have a seal, I now have the authority of the king. Uh, there's the, the idea in the ancient times where it is a mark of ownership. Again, it's like the cow thing. You know, you take a brand, you put it on a cow. It's, it's saying that whoever owns that brand, right, NR Johnson cattle, right, that's my cow. Why? Because there's a big NRJ on it. And that means it's mine. 
So if you take it and I look and go, huh, your name is Martha. That's not an inn. This is my cow, right? It's, it's, that, it's a mark of ownership kind of stuff. And then interestingly, the other idea, the third one, is that a seal is for the purpose of safety or security. Uh, for example, uh, you're going to send a letter to your mom, right? And uh, so here you are at Ellerslie, and you're going to send a letter home. And what, what do you do? You actually put a, you, you take your envelope, and some of you kind of, that nasty stuff, right? <clears throat> and you, you seal it. <clears throat> and then some of you don't trust that seal, and so you take some tape and you, right? Why? Because you want it sealed. You want this thing secure. Because you gave your mom $5, and you don't want anybody just to tamper with their envelope and get your $5, right? So, so you put the tape on it. Why? As a secure, as, as a seal. And you understand the ancient times, if you've ever seen the old movies, right? They, they melt the wax, and they put the wax on the, on the envelope, and then they, they put their really cool seal on it. And they know if someone's tampered with it, if the seal's been broken. So that's, that's another idea with this idea of seal. Do you realize that that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life? That, hey, when I hear the word of truth, and I put my belief in that truth, in him, do you realize what he does is he puts a mark upon my life. And as that mark you realize that it is a brand upon my soul saying that I belong to him. That he authenticates my life. That I belong. I, I, the ownership of my life is no longer mine, it's his. That he, he puts this seal of safety and security about my life. He is, as the Psalms would say, he's my rock and my refuge and my high tower. That, that I find my protection no longer in myself, I find my protection in him. That, that I now belong to somebody else. Now, what's interesting about this idea of the mark or the seal is, again, it's this idea, in, in, oh, and by the way, it conveys, we convey his authority, right? In other words, we go out into the world and we say, hey, God loves you. Hey, you need to repent and come to Jesus. Well, who said, oh, I come as an ambassador of the king, and I have his authority to tell you truth, which is a cool idea. It's really awesome. But isn't it interesting that if I am marked, if I am sealed with the Holy Spirit, then by its very nature, my life should look like the Spirit. Or my life should take on the characteristics and the nature of the one who is sealing me. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn back a couple pages to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> and, and, and I know we know this passage rather well, but I, I just want us to hear it afresh in line of the fact of what Paul is saying in Ephesians. <clears throat> in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, six, uh, sorry, verse 19, Paul's been talking about this idea that the flesh and the spirit are warring against one another. That there, there are two distinct marks upon someone's life. You're either going to be marked by the flesh or you're going to be marked by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and he says in verse 19, Galatians 5, 19, he says, now the works or if I may be so bold and put the mark, the evidence, the seal of the flesh are revealed. Oh, what does a life look like that's marked by the flesh? Paul says adultery, sexual immorality, impurity, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, rage, selfish, selfishness, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. Woo! So what that tells you then is if you have those things evidenced in your life, you're marked. How are you marked? By the flesh. 
Now he goes on, and he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's interesting that a lot of people in the modern church, we hear, oh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, i got to produce this. Ah! And isn't it interesting? You will never see a tree. You'll never be driving down the road, and you'll never see a tree going, ah! <laughs> Why? Trees don't do fruit. They bear fruit. The nature and the life of the tree within flows outward. Do you recognize that in John 15 when it talks about vine and branch stuff, and you can say, oh, what is the job description of the branch? And you can say, oh, it's to bear fruit. No, it's not. In the passage of John 15, the job description of the branch is to abide. And as long as the branch abides in the vine, guess what's going to take place? Fruit. But you don't have to worry about the fruit, you worry about the abiding. Because as long as you're abiding in the vine, the life-giving step of the vine flows out into the branch and, oh, look, fruit. And wouldn't it be amazing if the fruit of the Spirit were indeed fruits of the Spirit? That this is not something I have to grip my teeth and try to pull off. This is, hey, could I just somehow get so tight with Jesus? And may the mark of my life be, be that which the very nature of the one who indwells me starts to exhibit himself through my life. And so obviously, if God, who is love, comes to inhabit my life, what should be pouring out of my life? Love. Hey, if the God who is the fullness of joy, Psalm 1611, comes and indwells my life, what should flow out of my life? Joy. If the God who is the Prince of Peace, the one who has all peace, comes and indwells my life, what should flow out of my life? Peace. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why? Because that's His nature. And I don't have to grip my teeth trying to produce the fruits of the Spirit. I just need to let Him do His thing through my life. Now, I need to walk in obedience. I understand that. I need to respond to His move in my life. I understand that. Hey, I need to choose to delight myself in Him. Hey, I understand that. I need to press forward. I understand all that. But you realize that the true fruits of the Spirit is not something that I can produce out of my own ability. I, I cannot produce spirit stuff by my own flesh. I cannot grip my teeth and somehow pull off spirit stuff. So if you look back at the Ephesians 1 passage, you get this concept then that not only, not only does the mark of the Holy Spirit upon my life give authenticity and it conveys authority, and it's a mark of ownership. It also provides safety and security. But you get this concept that if he's going to truly mark my life, what is that mark upon my life going to look like to the world around me? It's going to look like him. And so it's no wonder that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, oh, the world is going to know you because of your love for one another. That somehow my life, my nature is going to be oozing out of your life. It's going to be pouring out of you in such a degree that when the world around you looks at you, they just go, oh, you must be a Christian. Yeah, how'd you know? Because strangely, you don't look like everybody else. Somehow in the middle of, of culture and chaos and economics and war or whatever may be going and strolling on around us, that you have this calm and this peace and this joy and there's this hope that you're bathed with humility, that there's this confidence. You're like, I know, because I have the life of Jesus within. 
and I am marked by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an amazing reality? This isn't, you come to Christ, and then, good luck, start acting like him. You can't. In fact, that's what the Old Testament has proven. That when you walk through the Old Testament, what you see is a whole bunch of people trying to live up to the standard, and everyone's failing short. No one in the Old Testament lived the life they were supposed to live. They all fell short. Jesus even said John the Baptist was the greatest that the Old Testament produced. And yet even he is the very bottom in the kingdom of heaven. That's a great thought. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven stuff is not a self-production. It's a spirit production. In and through your life. Now, if you think that's good, put on your seatbelt. This is so awesome. Paul says, again in verse 13, after hearing the word of truth, but not just hearing, but believing in it, this gospel of your salvation, you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which again is, is uh, evidence in Acts chapter 2. But he says in verse 14, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Woo! Now, we've already looked at this idea of inheritance uh, back a couple verses earlier. Uh, where was it? Verse, uh, oh, where is it at? Uh, verse 11. He says, in him you've received an inheritance. And again, we talked about back in verse 11 that the word inheritance has this idea of casting lots. Kind of an idea. And that you have been chosen by him. And what is your inheritance? Jesus. And what is Jesus' inheritance? You. It's interesting as you get into verse 14, that word inheritance is a different Greek word. Uh, this Greek word has more of the idea of the fullness of your inheritance. The totality of the thing. Now, listen to what Paul is saying here. He says, when you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, what happens is that that Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our future inheritance. I think in the modern church, we've had a misunderstanding of, of heaven. Uh, and it's probably all of our Southern Gospel songs that turned us wrong, but... Uh, you know, the Southern Gospel song, I like Southern Gospel, but, you know, the Southern Gospel songs talks about, you know, the, the streets paved with gold and, oh, we get mansions. Oh, we get a mansion. So endure through the hardship now because, woo, one day you're going to get a mansion. By the way, that's not in, in Scripture. <laughs> hate to break that to you. There are streets of gold, but I've never once looked outside and went, woo, asphalt, woo, asphalt. And you realize that if we're paving the streets with gold, it's probably not going to be like, woo, I'm going to take a chunk of that. I'll take it now. I mean, I'll take a chunk of it now. But I don't, it's just asphalt in heaven. And obviously it's beautiful and, all, and it's amazing. It shows the grandeur of all that. I'm not, I'm being a little sarcastic, but I'm not trying to downplay it. But that word for mansion that the King James uses, it's really just the idea of dwelling place. And again, if you understand Hebrew culture, it's the idea that here is Jesus and he's going to prepare a place for us. And what's he doing? He's, he's tacking on another room on the Father's house for you and him to dwell. Which is a beautiful, beautiful thought. But again, I think we have this misunderstanding of heaven. See, uh, I grew up with this idea of heaven where, oh, this, these misty clouds are going to be all over the place. And we're going to like be bouncing like on the moon. You're just like bouncing from one cloud to another. And we're like, hey. Right? Everyone gets harps. Right? And as a little kid, it's like, that doesn't actually sound that fun. You know, I just, for whatever reason, 
as I got a little older, is more of the idea that uh, heaven's going to be uh, bonbons with no calories and eternal shuffleboard. You know, it's just like, it's going to be fun, and we're going to laugh, and we'll have time with Jesus, and we're going to sing the hallelujah chorus over and over and over. And the evenings, evenings we're going to sit around a campfire and sing kumbaya. <laughs> you realize that's not the inheritance. That when you actually do a study of what the eternities are going to be, it is truly indescribable. It is so good, and it's so rich. But why? Because someone's there. Jesus. And I don't get an inheritance in terms of money. I don't get an inheritance in terms of prestige. I, bless you. I don't get an inheritance in terms of a new car. What is my inheritance? It's a person. And you realize that person has given himself via the Holy Spirit and has come to indwell me. And Paul says, do you recognize that the one who is indwelling you is a guarantee? Some translations say it's a down payment of our inheritance. That word guarantee, down payment, uh, the best way to think of that is like buying a house. Right? You're ready to go buy a house, and so what do you do? They say, oh, you like to buy this house? That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, you're going to have to put 10% down for this house. That there's an earnest money is, is more the idea. But, 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 but again, what is the down payment? Oh, it's, it's I put something down to say that I am going to eventually have, the, I'm going to pay the whole thing. I promise I pay, I'll pay the whole thing. But I'm going to put a little bit down now so I can experience it, but it's coming. Make sense? Do you realize that the Holy Spirit is our down payment? The Holy Spirit is our 10%. So you're telling me there's more? Do you, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how to describe this well enough, but do you, do you know how good life can be with Jesus, this side of heaven? I mean, I mean, look at Christian history, and you just see these phenomenal movement of God throughout history. Wow, look at how God used that individual. Wow, look at how God used that person. Do you realize that the very best, I think like the very best that someone can have this side of heaven is still but a down payment of the fullness that you and I get to experience in the eternities. So let's hypothetically presume, maybe, I mean, if you give 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life, and I mean, you are experiencing the fullness of the fullness of the fullness that you can this side of heaven. Let's say maybe you can get to 10%. I'm just picking a number, but let's say it's 10%. Two thoughts. Number one, do you recognize how good heaven's going to be? I mean, life's hard, I get that, but woo, life's amazing with Jesus. And even in the midst of all the hardships and all the craziness and all that kind of stuff, if the very best we can have this side of heaven is still but a down payment, could you imagine what the eternities are going to look like? In terms of relationship, in terms of intimacy, in terms of fullness, in terms of just the richness of who he is? Makes you want to go there now, doesn't it? It's an exciting thought. But here's the other thought. If the very, 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 very best that we can experience this side of eternity is but 10%, how much do you got? I think most <clears throat> in the evangelical church today is probably, and I'm talking North America, 
I'm guessing most of us are squeaking by with 1.5%. Maybe. I really do. I don't, I think there is so much more. I think we're like Ezekiel who gets into the waters that are flowing from the temple of God and he sees the waters at the ankle and we're like, whoa, look at this, there's water. And then we just stop. Do you realize that you're not intended to stop? You're intended to keep moving and progressing and deepening in the water. And just like Ezekiel, where the water goes from the knees to the ankles to the waist, and then it's so much water he can't even keep his head floating, you realize it seems like what God is wanting to do in our life is not keep us at the 1%. And personally, I... I don't want to be satisfied or content with the 1%. I don't even want to be satisfied and content with 2%. I don't, I don't want to be content with 7%. And, and maybe 1.5% is not, you know, not fair. You know, may, maybe some of us are at 4%. <laughs> Settle down. But why would you be content at 4%? See, my, my thought's been... If the very, very, very best that we can experience this side of heaven is 10%, why don't we try to sneak in 11? Why not? Why wouldn't we give ourselves in totality to Jesus Christ? Why wouldn't we go after him? Why, why wouldn't we just diligently seek after him? Why wouldn't we just say, God, would you, just, would you consume my life? Could, could I just... See, I don't want to be satisfied with the 1%. When, when 10% might be available. And if 10% is available, and I know it's only a down payment of what we get, I'm going to try to get 12%. And maybe, oh, just maybe God says, oh, I'll give you 20. Because he is that kind of a God. Because he wants us to know him. He wants us to, he, he delights in giving more. He just... So, bring this back to your life. Have you just heard the word of truth? Or have you believed? Because hearing is insufficient. Now, you need to hear in order to believe. But if all you ever do is hear, you'll still die and go to hell. Because it's not about the hearing. It's about the believing. And do you recognize it if you truly believe that your life has been marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit? which means he has now claimed ownership. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Hey, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You. Hey, do you recognize that, that the ownership, the authority, the authenticity, the, all that stuff is because the Holy Spirit is now upon your life. That, that, you are now, that now you are protected by him. That, that you, have a, you have this fortress in Christ. That the enemy could be poking at you and you actually do not have to give in. Why? Because you have him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, living within you. And he is your high tower. He is your protection. He is your refuge, your refuge, your fortress, your rock, your strength. Hey, is your life marked by the life of God? Could someone look at your life and go, ooh, you must be a Christian. Not because you wear the Christian t-shirt but because you're really marked by his life. And what flows out of your life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. 
Do you have a heart to pursue him? Are you delighting in your inheritance? Isn't it a great thought that you don't have to wait till heaven to experience inheritance? You get it right this very moment. But don't be content with what you have. Go after him. As Hebrews 11.6 says, diligently seek him. Pursue him. Give him everything. Seek first the kingdom. Do you recognize that we are just, we are experiencing the very tippity top of the shaved ice on the tippity top of the iceberg of all that there is. May we not be content with the tip of the iceberg. Let's go after him. Let's pursue him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, I, uh, I repent for the times where I've been content with so little. Lord, I repent of the times where <clears throat> I have not basked in the richness of my inheritance, which is you. Lord, I want my life to look like you. I don't want to try to just mimic. I want to have the life within. So Lord, could you take your spirit and so do such a work in my life that what oozes forth out of every pore of my body, what oozes forth out of every word that I speak, what oozes forth out of every thought that I think is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control because that is the fullness of your life. Lord, could I be captured and captivated by you? Could you cause a rising up within my soul where not only am I consumed this very moment, but I am hungering and thirsting for more. Lord, I, I am satisfied in you, but oh, I hunger for more. As Andrew Murray said, that this is only the beginning. We only, get a, we only have a down payment. Lord, let us not be content with the tip of the iceberg. Let, let us not be content with wading in the shallow waters. Lord, let us progress let us deepen. Let us experience what it means to have the fullness of you, whatever that means, this side of eternity. Lord, what an incredible reality and opportunity that we have to be marked by you, to have your life within, to get to experience our inheritance, even if it's just a little tiny portion of it. Lord, it mind boggles. It just boggles my mind to think of how good things are with you and then to think that if this is just a tiny portion of it, how much better it's going to get. Lord, we want you. We want more of you. Somehow would you grow in our lives as we give ourselves more and more fully surrendered completely to you. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.